0: you are listening to practicing gospel i'm david rayburn galadriel is one of the rulers of the elves in jrr tolkien's fantasy series the lord of the rings at the beginning of the first movie based on the series you hear her voice saying the world has changed i feel it in the water i feel it in the earth i smell it in the air much that once was is lost. These words kind of capture the experience for those of us who have been in Christian ministry for the past 40 years. We grew up and began ministry during the peak of traditional denominational Christianity. Churches were full, budgets were full, denominational agencies expanded, new churches were started, Revivals were popular and successful, especially Billy Graham's. Colleges seemed to expand, and organizations, denominational organizations, sent out more missionaries than had ever been sent out. But somewhere along the way, things began to wane. Church membership began to decline and continues to decline. And as the result, budgets have declined and are continuing to decline, which has forced churches to cut back on staff, forced denominational organizations to cut back on staff. Ministry has often been reduced. Ministerial staff has been overworked and burned out. Churches have found themselves in conflicts over liberal and conservative issues, over traditional or contemporary music styles and worship, and churches by the thousands have been dying and have died. This decline is something that has been happening across the denominations, across the liberal conservative spectrum, across the ethnic spectrum, and is an international experience. And so this issue is affecting all Christians. And consequently, there is a conversation about this by us all. So today I have as my guest, Dr. Chris Backert, who is the National Director of Fresh Expressions in the United States. He's gonna talk with us about this what's happening and what Fresh Expressions is and is doing. So Chris, thank you for being with me today and welcome.
1: Good morning. Happy to be with you.
0: So why don't we begin by letting you talk about your own spiritual journey and how it has led you to what you're doing.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, to be brief, uh, sometimes I uh, refer to myself as a baptized Catholic. I, uh, I grew up uh, coming from a strong Catholic family in the, the Baltimore uh, area. And um, the first several years of my life uh, were, uh, I guess you would, you know, we were kind of nominal uh, church attenders, and uh, and then my my father actually, when I was about five or six years old, uh, had a, a experience of conversion in which uh, he gave his life to Christ. And it had had a meaning for him uh, beyond what his Catholic experience had been. And we started attending a, a small little Baptist church in the, the sort of rural area that we that we lived in. And uh, that that uh, was a really shaping experience for me. Uh, it was in the north. And so it it stayed out of a lot of the uh, hubbub of uh, you know, denominational life and politics, and and um, it was uh, just sort of a unique place because of that. And uh, many, many years later, just before I was uh, entering college, I uh, felt called ministry, and um, just from the earliest days, I was involved in things that were really trying to stretch the bounds. Uh, what it meant to to be a pastor, to be involved in church leadership, uh, to really, uh, my passion in those days was specifically to try to reach my peers and other young adults, and uh, ended up being involved in planting a couple churches, and then got involved in some denominational leadership. And, and um, so, uh, lots of those experiences uh, led me to uh, where I am today in, in both being involved in some very creative, uh, incarnational, contextual expressions of church, trying to reach people outside the bounds of what we in the Fresh Expressions Movement call the Inherited Church, but also seeing that uh, can happen alongside and interrelated to our so-called inherited or institutional uh, denominational ecclesial expressions
0: So what do you see as part of the reason for the declining situation and what's kind of happening culturally uh, that has created this this context?
1: yeah well there are there are really so many reasons um, but I think if you take a step back, I, I, I see uh, probably four or five things that kind of have built on each other over the last several decades. And I think that we uh, don't um, ex- think about the reality of this particular order of things that I'm going to give. But um, a lot of times when we as church leaders, uh, members of congregations look at decline. We, um, we tend to address, uh, surface level issues. Um, we tend to think that it, you know, something that we are doing in our congregation is, uh, is the cause of the decline. And of course, sometimes that, that is the case. But, uh, when I, when I look back over the last several decades, I, I think that uh, the foundation of what is, is really taking place is, you know, we've really become in our country, the, the forces of pluralism and secularism, really not just in the U S, but in the Western world uh, have, have just grown quite strong. Um, you know, in 50, 60 years ago in our country, uh, it, pluralism really meant which denomination, which Protestant denomination were you part of? And, uh, today, it means uh, any, not even just the mainstream world religions, uh, and of course, all of them have uh, centers of, of strength here in the U.S., but it, it means uh, lots of uh, derivations of those world religions and uh, the New Age movement. I mean, the, the, the breadth of people's spiritual and religious expression uh, is just immense from a sociological point of view. And then, of course, secularism was was something that was in a very minor part of our society 50 or 60 years ago. And depending on how you define that and, and look at its impact, I mean, you could say secularism impacts every part of uh, the mainstream institutions in North America, including the religious Institutions, um, and uh, so now, of course, people associate the secularism with uh, the rise of the nuns and the duns, and and those sorts of things. But I think that's the foundation of the the, the shift that we're in because we we have been had uh, had a time of where there's been such a rise in those two realities. Now, those two realities uh, have helped to precipitate the onset of post christendom and. I, I simply like to to explain that as, uh, you know, church and the experience of church and the Christian faith has really been moved from the center of our social fabric to the margins of our social fabric. It's it's uh, to me best epitomized by the, the many uh, small towns and even cities that you find uh, on the East Coast in particular and some as you move Midwest where, you know, you could go to just about any city or town or borough in uh, up and down the East Coast. And if you go to the center of that town, you'll find one, two, three, four churches, right, right smack dab in the middle of it. And, and this is true in many of our cities. I can think about where I live in Pennsylvania, you know, directly across from the, the state capital is uh, a street called Church Street. And it's called Church Street because the sort of a strong congregation from just about every major, uh, tradition could have been found up and down that street. And many of them were built in the first half of, of the past century, some, uh, a little bit in the, you know, in the sixties and, and, uh, and life revolved for many people around that core, uh, institution. But now the church has been moved to the margins. And I think what is really created is, uh, I say, a, the church has lost its place as a plausibility structure, and this is the the area that I don't hear as many people talking about. But uh, the, the the thought of people being involved in church or congregational life or finding their their faith in that sort of uh, communal expression is um, is just really washed away, and I think that many people today just don't consider the church as a place of meaning and significance if uh, they didn't, certainly if they didn't grow up with it, and most likely if they didn't experience it as a place of meaning and significance throughout their uh, young adult collegiate years. And I think if the average person today gets to age (laughs) 25— And uh, if at any point in time they've had a significant disconnect from the church really functioning as a, a plausibility structure in their life, a place for them to, to figure out uh, life's meaning and purpose, for them to answer the questions of their life, for them to, to find that it's a, it's a place that they can orient their life around, then I think the likelihood of them being involved in any kind of uh, what we call in the Fresh Expressions Movement, again, inherent expression of the Christian faith, is uh, is certainly shrinking and, and maybe null and void. And I don't just mean traditional churches. I don't mean, you know, a First Baptist, a First Methodist, sort of tall, steeple church. I mean uh, anything from from Saddleback to North Point in Atlanta. I think the average Sunday sort of worship service-centric congregation uh, experience this reality differently, but they all—they all, they all re- basically are in the same category. <laughs> and I think it's that experience of church, that plausibility structure, that really has has dissipated. And because of that, it's put a uh, a chasm or a gap uh, between the church and the social world around the church. And those those things uh, no longer sort of fit together as they did so neatly for so long. And because of that reality, I think we see the insufficiency of what is often called the attractional church. And again, I I mean by that, whether it's a Saddleback or North Point or a First Baptist, uh, all of those operate on the attractional uh, posture. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that posture. Uh, The sort of here we are, come to us, way of thinking about living out life as a congregation. But it's really just shown to be, I think, insufficient uh, for what is needed uh, for the gospel today. So that's my my understanding of how we've gotten where we are. And I think that you can take, uh, as you mentioned in your introduction, you know you can take any theological issue or uh, worship style issue and and basically, those to me are all symptoms of this sort of underlying uh, progression of things that have happened.
0: Well, do you think that Christianity has actually declined or is it just fallen behind the population growth so that while it may be growing, it's just not keeping up with the number of people being born?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think certainly in the United States and in most other Western worlds, it's it certainly is declining. I think that what... What's harder to know is, uh, is it declining uh, or is there a sort of a, a shifting and a sifting out of people who are, uh, they're really more church people than gospel people. <laughs> and uh, does the um, n- people who have been involved in you know Christian faith nominally uh, are we just seeing really the the disappearance of the nominal Christian, the cultural Christian, uh, the Christian that uh, thinks they're, you know, would would say at some point in time, yeah, having a faith or their faith is important, but they don't really practice it or live it out in any way. And I think that it's it's hard to it's hard to get your handle around that because most of the data and studies that we have around this area in the U S really measure concrete things like church involvement. And, um, but I think that's really the the question is, uh, is it sort of the nominal Christianity? Have we just lost that reality over the last 20 or 30 years, or is that's what's really shrinking, uh, and vibrant practice Christianity, uh, that, that might be growing, but our, Numbers and our perspective on those numbers were probably so ballooned uh, over the last, particularly fifty or sixty years ago. I think nineteen sixty-three was the the highest year, if I'm remembering correctly, for I'll just call it, you know, institutional church involvement in the United States uh, across the you know the mainstream denominations, and so. I think a lot of our perspective on the size of the church and its reach at that time was bolstered by a lot of nominal cultural Christians.
0: And so that has led you to uh, the Fresh Expressions movement uh, and efforts. So talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Fresh Expressions movement uh, originated uh, in... Uh, actually, the Church of England and the British Methodist Church. And what took place there was they were doing some uh, observation on what they would say was the, the decline of their traditional church planting efforts in, in the United Kingdom. And I, I liken uh, that reality to, to the place that I see many of our traditional church planting efforts today, that it's really waned in its effectiveness uh, in the last 10 or so years. And uh, they were looking at that reality in, uh, in the early 2000s after they had experienced uh, a strong period in the 90s, and they saw this deep decline in what was the, the fruitfulness of that work. And as they were trying to understand why that was happening, what they noticed was a lot of uh, what they ended up calling fresh expressions, these sort of incarnational micro-communities and expressions of church that were, they were not reaching 125 or 150 people. They were reaching 25 to 30 people. And they, they were very niche in, I think, a good sense of that word. And as a result of that, they they saw the fruitfulness of this and they said the Holy Spirit must be must be in this. And they took what was happening sort of uh, in a disorganized fashion on the fringes and edges of church life. And they brought it to the center and they said that we think this has meaning for the whole. And so that initiated the Fresh Expressions movement in England uh, around 2004. Uh, Our work here in the U.S. was launched in 2012, and uh, the the question that I think drives what we do, that I I try to use it to explain the the purpose of Fresh Expressions, is it really asks the question, uh, what do we do about all the people who are never going to come to our standard expressions of church? And again, I I mean from a First Baptist to a Saddleback, and and, uh, that Sunday— you know, worship service centric congregation? What about all the people that are never going to engage with those, even if they're really good? (laughs) You know, even if they resolve their questions about uh, the worship wars, and even if they figure out how to have the best children's ministry, and even if the preaching is really good and the music's really good, what about the increasing number of people who just say, it doesn't matter. None of that is of interest at all to me. And so that's what really drives the Fresh Expressions movement. And then the the, the second question along with that is how does that relate to the inherited, the institutional, the the, the quote-unquote traditional church here in uh, in the U.S.? So how does it relate? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of times when uh, denominational leaders and other sort of church mission strategists have thought about the expansion and extension of the gospel, the expansion and extension of church ministry uh, in a in a community or a region uh, over the last couple decades. Typically, they've thought about uh, a group of people leaving one congregation and going to form, uh, you know, since, since you have a Baptist background, I'll say, a, you know, an autonomous, independent congregation. And, of course, every polity... Basically, no matter how they talk about this, they they follow, sort of follow the same same reality, and uh, they thought this group of people needs to leave this, this group, they need to go start another group, wholly separate from, from the one that exists, and that's the best way to reach new people. And, of course, there's been a number of studies that show planting new churches uh, in that mode is the best way to actually reach uh, new people. And I think that what Fresh Expressions has come back and said, it's, it's a starting and the new thing that is really important that can focus on a, on a different group that isn't uh, encumbered so much by the inherited patterns and practices of the, the churches we know it. Uh, but that actually there's a way of conceiving of this uh, sort of a- ecclesiology, this, this way of looking at what it means to be a congregation, that um, that group of people, number one, doesn't have to be very big. Uh, Number two, we don't have to raise tons of money to do it. And number three, their goal can really be to reach 20 to 30, 35 people focused in a particular network or neighborhood or area of passion. Uh, Often they can be lay led and they don't have to leave uh, the church that's nurtured and grown them and that they love and the people that they love. uh, Because the truth is the people that they're going to reach are not likely, certainly at first. Uh, to engage with that traditional form of church. And so we we really envision uh, that there are the congregations that meet on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights around that sort of uh, gathered, sort of standard Christian worship expression that they're actually full of uh, real-life, everyday missionaries who are capable of planting a incarnational expression of church a fresh expression of church in their neighborhood or their network around their workplace and that uh, that that is sort of a new model of multiplication and so I I think very much we see that the inherited church the traditional church has the majority of the missionaries that uh, the gospel needs at this time. Well you
0: talk about you know, church. That so this is this is not just an evangelistic movement or a discipleship movement, but it's a it's a church movement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what we try to help people understand is that uh, number one, uh, often there are many things that are part of what we call church. That if you uh, looked at at uh, the things that w- any any congregation says go into making up a church, that there's a, a great many of them that you could uh, that you could get rid of, and the truth is you would still have a church. And um, so, for instance, you know, could you get rid of music of any kind on a Sunday morning and still have a church? The answer is well, yes, you could. <laughs> um, could you get rid of uh, preaching as we mostly experience it? and still have a church? Uh, yes, if you could get rid of it as we experience it, sort of that uh, person up front talking for anywhere from 25 to 40 minutes, if you got rid of that, could you still have a church? Yes, you could still have a church. So there's a lot of things that we see go into the, the package of what people experience as church that, um, that, that are good, they often serve a good purpose, but they're also not... Um, not always necessary. and so we we think that when you distill it down, uh, you know the early church really worked hard on this and uh, they they came up with these marks of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And uh, I think if you take those words and you sort of uh, import that into the contemporary language, what they're really talking about there is there's an, ex- an expression of the Christian faith it does have a uh, kind of an upward component, a worship component. Does it have a, an inward sort of fellowship, community component? Does it have an, an apostolic, a, a missional, an evangelistic, an extension component? And does it have a uh, an of a connectional component? Is it part of a, a broader uh, family of faith? And and so we see that those are the four core marks of the church, and and the. the the interesting thing is that we have a couple of exercises in some of the training that we run that helps to really distill this down. And in almost every polity that we have ever worked with, uh, from, you know, Episcopal polity all the way down to, you know, really, uh, congregational, uh, polity, um, among some, you know, Anabaptists and Mennonites and others that, um, you know, most people can get down to these four marks. Sometimes uh, they'll also want to throw in a mark of leadership, and I think that's a good mark as well. There's some kind of recognized leadership. But we think if you actually start from from those four or five things and you try to imagine among a particular group of people, what does the shape of church look like, uh, that, that you your, our uh, bandwidth of innovation uh, to be able to really reach new people who have not yet engaged with the gospel and the life of the church uh, is immense. And so those are the things that we're aiming for in helping people cultivate. And our question is always, uh, you don't have to have them all at the start, uh, but you eventually want all of them. And then eventually you want to see them all continue to mature. But that's going to happen in various speeds and times. And um, the truth is, even our most standard expressions of church don't always uh, end up very mature in all of those four or five things. So so that hopefully helps explain a little bit of, of where we're going when we're talking about this as an expression of church, because we do really believe that the goal is for them to be an expression of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church.
0: But your focus is on uh, subgroups, right? People groups.
1: Yes, our focus is on people groups. And um, I think that uh, there, there of course, are so many, and this is one of the realities that's helped shape uh, the, the, the church experience and part of the decline over the last several years, is that uh, there was a time in which uh, most people's life experience, and especially outside of the cities, uh, was, was very similar. And their sociology was very similar. Their psychography was very similar. And so, you know, your, your standard 1950s, 60s model of church uh, really across the denominational spectrum uh, operated very similarly. And, um, and it reached a, a very homogenous uh, group of people. Now, you know, we have so many different subgroups and more of them all the time. And and there's so many more things that people find enjoyable and interesting uh, that we really, uh, as a friend of the Fresh Expressions movement, we say that we need to take the church that Jesus loves and put it closer to where the people Jesus loves actually are. And that's really what we're trying to do when we're working to focus on a particular neighborhood or network, a subgroup. Is we're just trying to say, what does it look like for the gospel to take shape among this group of people who are runners, and their life revolves uh, around the fact that they that they run, you know, and so they run several times a week. They usually run in community with other people. Uh, their vacations often are built around, uh, you know, going to Boston for the Boston Marathon or the New York Marathon. Uh, and, you know, their, their, their running shapes their purchasing practices. It shapes what they do with their time. Running dominates their life. And uh, there are thousands of people in every city uh, who who that that what I'm talking about is true. And so how do we take the church and put it closer to where those people actually are? Because one of the things that's true about where they actually are is on Sunday morning <laughs> between the hours of six and noon, they're likely running. And so how do we take the church and put it closer to where their life is already at? And that's why we try to focus on subgroups um, because we want to we want to put the church closer to people's lived experience. And we think that actually, if we put the church closer to people's lived experience, that all of a sudden the church can be reestablished, that the reality of church can be reestablished as a plausibility structure. All of a sudden, this this Christian faith uh, intersected with in this sort of communal nature. It's a it's a possible way now for people to uh, live out their life, to find meaning and purpose, uh, to to answer their questions, to orient their time. But we have to put it closer to them because right now it's it's far away.
0: Well, denominationalism kind of rose uh, with the notion that beliefs matter, and that therefore kind of what you believed organized your Christian experience uh, into a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic. Um, How does that factor into what you're doing?
1: Mm. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that there are uh, fresh expressions of every kind of denominational tradition, and so I think that there isn't a particular denominational tradition that the tradition that is not able to intersect with the Fresh Expressions movement, because I know of Fresh Expressions of Church and the Anglican tradition and the Methodist tradition and the Baptist tradition. Uh, each polity and way of living out their, you know, church experience, uh, you know, is is nuanced because of that and some of the, in some cases, rules and regulations or traditions or disciplines that are part of that tradition. Um, so I think you could, you can have a very vibrant, and I know of many, uh, fresh expression of church in the, say, the Wesleyan tradition, and the uh, beliefs actually do matter. In fact, I have a lot of my uh, uh, Wesleyan friends, and I would even consider myself a Wesleyan, um, that, that uh, would say that fresh expressions is actually more authentic to the core of Wesleyan DNA than the institutional expressions of the Wesleyan church um, or Methodist church today. I think, you know, I, I like to tell Baptists that the local church needs to get more local, and our value, our belief in the 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 uh, the primacy of the local church means that actually that subgroup of runners uh, matters, <laughs> and that that's what it means to be a local church uh, today. We need to get more local with the local church. So I think each denominational tradition that, that the, the Holy Spirit has deposited strands of life for its renewal and vitality in the future, and they can be accessed and utilized for fresh expressions. Now, this, the second thing I'll say is this, um, from a macro scale, I think that what we are experiencing uh, around this question of denominational life and that beliefs matter is that is that right now uh, our what beliefs matter to what people are shifting <laughs> and the uh, that's being caused by these, these realities, the post-Christian reality, the church's of a plausibility structure reality. It's, it's, it's causing uh, things to take place that church leaders are looking and saying, Oh, well uh, I'm in this tradition you're in that tradition. And the things that we disagree about are, minor compared to the things that we agree about, uh, when you consider it in the, in the greater landscape of the you know, social life in North America. And, um, and I, I, actually see a sort of a shuffling of the deck, uh, that's, uh, taking place in the church in in certainly in the U S and, uh, I think that, um, we are going to see in time, we already see signs of it now, uh, sort of, a uh, a truthfully, a, a regathering of uh, of what you might call the progressive side of the church. And you already see this now with a lot of the more mainline, historically mainline denominations are are uh, finding ways of being in full communion with each other. I think you see a regathering of the, the more conservative side of the church. Uh, you know, who would have thought 20 or 30 years ago that the, the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, and the Southern Baptist Convention would basically seem so similar. (laughs) Um, But I think there's a regathering of the more conservative side of the church. And I also see taking place a regathering of the the, the center, you know, the the center left, the center right, um, you know, the the, the kind of uh, moderate evangelicals um, and uh, people who don't really fall in the continuing uh, stretching of the, you know, ideological or theological spectrum that is experienced in in North America right now and in all realities, theological realities, political realities. I think there's going to be a regathering, and I already see signs of it, of a a center of, uh, it won't be a, it won't be a, a, like a centralized, these aren't centralized realities, but they're sort of decentralized uh, fellowships and fusions of, of uh, a lot of things that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, people would never imagine would be collaborating together. But I, so I see a reshifting as, as what we think doctrinally, um, what we think matters, uh, and the answers that we come up to those things that we think matters. I think we, we see a reshuffling of the church around those things.
0: So, how does the church focused around runners uh, relate to the church Catholic? And how does it maintain its identity by doing that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think this is again where we are very much focused on these fresh expressions of church uh, um, emerging out of and being connected and interrelated to a particular tradition. And so, I think that is actually one of the ways that they maintain their connection to the you know the so-called church Catholic, and you know that. Methodist fresh expressions, and since I know you're in North Carolina and the Western North Carolina Methodist Conference, uh, relate to the Western North Carolina Methodist Conference, and they relate to, you know, Boone United Methodist Church, uh, to give to give one example, uh, or they relate to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina or the Southern Baptist Convention. They that they relate to the the broader family that they're part of, and they find the you know, the roots of that t- tradition uh, to be put in an ecclesial form that is able to be closer to people's lives. So that's how we see that that taking place. Uh, I think that there may be certainly uh, some things that the Holy Spirit is up to that are really beyond what any of us can see right now <laughs> in terms of where, you know, where all this is heading uh, as we look ahead to the future of the church. Um, but I, I think people always long to find a way to be connected. Uh, one of the most interesting things to me that I've observed the last five years is that a lot of um, uh, you know so-called independent churches uh, that were probably planted and sort of part of the, the community church movement or the uh, sort of saddleback, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven kind of movement – in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, that many of them now are basically trying to find a way to be in a a network as an association. Some even join a denomination because they're really tired of being, quote unquote, independent. So I think people always are are, are longing and trying to find an ecclesial family. And that um, our work is to try to work among the the historic traditions of the church, uh, at least at this point, uh, to help them imagine new ecclesial expressions for their particular tradition.
0: In in this effort, what does your organization specifically do?
1: We uh, do a number of things. Uh, again, our our primary uh, locus of our work is to really try to work with typically what's a, a regional denominational judicatory, and and that. Um, the size and sort of expanse of that depends on the tradition. So, you know, in many denominational traditions, that's a that's a state body. Uh, but in some of them, you know, they're covering regions or in some of them, they're covering cities. So our primary goal is to work in concert with uh, the, the sort of, you know, the regional judicatory. And... And then to work with them in developing uh, vision, imagination, training, coaching, resourcing for fresh expressions of church and what we call uh, now the the blended ecology of church, which is when you develop a a culture and a community, which is starting multiple fresh expressions uh, in and around an existing congregation. And it actually changes the dynamic of what it even means to be a local church. And uh, that that process in reality, we call the blended ecology of church. And so our our goal primarily is to work with uh, the regional bodies to develop these areas so that they can uh, work together with us to help uplift, support, and vision a whole body of churches in a region uh, moving in the direction of fresh expressions in the blended ecology. There are times that we do work with specific individual churches uh, in the area of developing fresh expressions. But, uh, our main focus is to try to work with the regional, the regional bodies. Sometimes we do involve, are involved in coaching individual leaders, but again, our main, our main work is to try to, to work with the denominational communities. And I think that's actually one of the, the uniquenesses of fresh expressions. Part of our charism is, uh, to, to, to be focused in and around, uh, those, uh, those sort of institutional uh, expressions of church.
0: Well, Chris, I am very thankful uh, that you've taken the time to talk with us about what's happening and uh, how this can benefit uh, the Christian faith uh, and the Christian church. Hopefully we can talk again
1: sometime. Well, that. Uh- Absolutely, uh, David, and I, I imagine that uh, you probably have a, a decent number of listeners from North Carolina, and I just, just want to say that we actually have a, a good deal of work happening in North Carolina. If you go to our website, FreshExpressionsUS.org, uh, and, uh, you will see uh, in the upcoming months a number of uh, events and other gatherings taking place uh, everywhere from Wilmington to Asheville, and so that would be a great thing for any of your listeners uh, or followers in North Carolina to know about.
0: Well, thank you so much. No
1: problem. It's great to talk to you.
0: You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father, Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project. You can purchase the album and learn more about the Worship Project by going to the website... ThePortersGate.com This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel, Inc. is a non-profit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak.